This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. How are we going to change the world today? Well, I'll tell you. We're going to change the world today by listening to each other with an open heart, by taking our ego out of the equation and listening to another person to understand them fully. When we do that, we'll be able to find, as humans, some common ground. From common ground... Cooperation, collaboration, or at the very least, understanding is possible. That's how we're going to change the world today. You know, we talk about excellence in nutrition, excellence in self-care, excellence in following our bliss. Excellence in communication is something I haven't talked about a lot. I come from a long line of screamers and throwers. I didn't even know this was a thing, but I like it. And since talking to Milan, I'm catching myself in conversations with my husband, especially. And I'm reflecting and saying, hmm, could have done that better. And this is coming from a woman who has avoided not only topics of conversation, but entire groups of people for the last many years. Raise your hand if you're with me. I get a knot in my stomach just thinking a conversation might possibly venture into an area where I am not comfortable. You know what I'm talking about. And then I met 24-year-old Milan Cortesani, founder of The Doe, an anonymous publication promoting open-minded discussions. Milan has also written the book, I'm Just Saying, a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world. I'm just saying. You hear that in an argument when somebody's done talking. You say, I'm just saying, and whatever comes after that, you think it's just the truth. Game over. But Milan found out something really important. First, he realizes that engaging in civil discourse is our only way out. Talking to each other, listening to each other, working together, it's our only way out. There's no other way. And when you take ego out of the equation, miracles happen. He found that with his online publication called The Doe, an anonymous digital publication promoting open-minded discussion. So people had stories to tell, but they didn't necessarily want to put their name to the story. And when you take your identity out of the story and just share the story safely, good things happen. So we're going to get some advice from Milan Cordestani. But first, let's find out about thedoe.com. We launched the Doe in 2019, and we have published over a thousand different narratives since. So it's pretty incredible. I mean, it, it, it spans a gamut of responses, but we published them on our website, but we would promote them on social media. And the goal was to get people to communicate around these topics. And so, you know, whether they were stories about neurodivergence, like individuals who suffer from autism or Asperger's and hearing a perspective from like a sibling talking about what it's like living with their brother who has Asperger's or the individual themselves um, sharing what it's like uh, from their perspective. And then all of a sudden you get hundreds, if not thousands of people coming in the comment section like, wow, I have a family member who is similar, who also has Asperger's or autism and um, is on the spectrum. And I now understand why they are the way they are. They react certainly certain ways um, when things happen in our lives. 
And it gives people a new perspective, and it allows them to show up better in their lives. Uh, likewise, we've had parents come talk about, you know, what it's like uh, having children who are LGBTQ and how they've become more progressive and what that's like for them and, you know, the challenges there. And, and that helps a lot of different parents or um, politicians talking about why they make certain decisions that they make or why they vote or why they, they are what brought them to be the individuals they are today. And usually those end up becoming more divisive because they're, they have impact on a lot of different people. And But, uh, you know, we also end up seeing that there's a lot of great conversation around around politics as well. Okay. Who does all the vetting for you? Uh, editors. So Colin St. John um, was the previous editor-in-chief, and he comes from a a long journalist background, um, and we had several different editors as well that worked under the publication. Do you ever promote the fact that you want more Doe writers? We do. Uh, we would love for people to come and pitch to us. We've been on hiatus since January this year, especially as I've been focused a lot on putting out this book. But as we start to come back, we would love to start accepting pitches again. Uh, at, at our peak, I think we were getting about 300 pitches a week, and we were doing our best to get through all of them. But I'm working on optimizing basically the speed with which we're able to vet and publish these stories because the vetting process is quite uh, nuanced and quite detailed, and that's the only way something like this can really exist in the world. So working on optimizing it to be faster. People have to really trust you to send in stories stories like this and then say, don't use my name, vet me, but don't use my name. And trust is a big part of civil discourse. We have to trust people. (laughs) What made you think this would work? Well, I myself started out as a uh, freelance writer. I started writing for the Huffington Post when I was around 16 years old about the agriculture industry. Uh, I, I mentioned the turtles, but I used to raise chickens. I used to grow and sell saffron, and really I felt like youth perspectives were needed um, at the the publishing level. And so I pitched to several different publications. I started writing for them and went on to writing for Entrepreneur and Rolling Stone. And as I was writing all of the, for these different outlets and publications, I noticed myself holding back and that recognizing so much of what I was putting out in the world was for um, my my perceived or self-perceived career as a writer, and it wasn't for the good of the conversations I was sparking or for the good of the public. And that was when, you know, I recognized there was a need to remove all the ego from publishing. Let's take out my name. Let's take out the name of people who are publishing, and let's get people to focus on the stories and the perspectives that we're saying and sharing so that, you know, we can have impactful conversations instead of just trying to tear people down for sharing perspectives that we might not agree with. And, and really, that was kind of the, the birth of that early, early startup. Were you homeschooled? I was not homeschooled. Um, I'm, my parents are Iranian immigrants, and I, so both of them, you know, though non, not very religious now, not practicing, um, grew up Muslim, and, and so did I to an extent. And I went to Catholic school, and they sent me there because they really believed that the foundation and values of so many religions are so similar and so universal, and that uh, being able to recognize that and being able to relate with people that might not be the same as you um, is incredibly important. So I wasn't homeschooled, but I did have very intentional parents and a very intentional mother. Yeah. Your teachers must have just loved you. <laughs> I actually talk about them in the book. They did not love me at the time. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, that was one of the mistakes, you know, like I was a very brash young, young boy and I was, I felt the need to be right a lot. I felt the need to defend my opinions, um, you know, over all else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you become an entrepreneur, you recognize that 
being right as an individual is not really the goal here. The goal is to be able to scale solutions for the masses. And to do that, you have to listen and you have to talk to customers and you have to understand um, people above all else. What made yeah. Young Milan want to be right? Ooh, that's a great question. I think being right is an element of feeling in control. And there, you know, for a young Milan who, whose parents were divorced, who felt a little bit like the other, my first language was Farsi, my second was Spanish, and my third was English. There was a need for control or the need to feel, you know, they need to feel right probably fed into that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that as well because a lot of starting your own business is a need of some sort of control. Not necessarily of other people, but it could be control over your time and how you spend it. It could be over how you make your money. There is some sort of form of control that entrepreneurs tend to gravitate towards, but I think being able to relinquish that control and connect with people better makes makes your life all the better. That young Milan who wanted to be right, that brash young boy who was always spouting his opinions, that might have been a really helpful coping mechanism that got him through a hard time. So I just yeah. want to applaud young Milan. Thank you. I'm I done. appreciate that so much. <laughs> no, I agree fully. All right. I can't help Aunt Casey. She just pops out sometimes. So Milan, what did you learn from the dough? I learned that people are more divided than ever, but that um, when we share these moments of our lives, when we, when we create vulnerability or share those stories, it allows other people to see us as, as people and as their neighbors and be able to communicate about topics that are otherwise taboo or difficult without feeling like it's so uncomfortable or like they need to be defensive. We know we're divided, but even though we're divided, are we feeling the same things on either side of the divide? Civil discourse is this premise that we can find common ground on almost any topic if if we understand how to communicate properly if we understand what you know how to active listen if we understand you know how to be empathetic and so yeah i mean there there's this idea that generally living in a society or a nation we have a we have shared values and that we have to start from that place of shared values those common grounds in order to be able to live in a progressive society even when we disagree on on certain topics you have written i'm just saying a guide to maintaining civil discourse in an increasingly divided world, and you find that politeness is in peril. So if Justin Timberlake can bring sexy back, (laughs) Milan Cordestani can bring politeness back. I like that. That's fun. Tell me how this has affected how you operate in the world. It's all about, uh, and I talk about this a bit in the book, um, how, you know, it's really important to, especially as like a young male, to kind of recognize how you show up to conversations and what what excellence in conversation really looks like. And so I share a lot of stories from my life in this book uh, of mistakes I've made either in building startups or, you know, at the familial level um, in my personal life. It's, it's really about understanding people better and trying to connect with people better and recognizing that when we can do that, we can really start to have conversations that we otherwise would, would have strayed away from. One of the key components is reflection and recognizing our own biases, our own ego as one of the detractors of being able to have productive conversation. And so reflection is this really important component where we think when we're not in conversation or even throughout conversation, being able to take a pause and think about why we are defending what we are defending. 
spending and recognizing if that is something that really is something that we're trying to allow us to become divided with people that we're speaking with or if it's actually something that early on in our lives may have been impacting us and currently today isn't actually something that we feel that strongly about and so reflection in general as being one of the key components to to excellence in civil discourse the hope with everything right like writing a book and creating a publication is to inspire people right to inspire people to show up better in their lives and that's really all we can do to really bridge divides is to help people show up better to conversations more confidently more courageous and inspiring people to do that one part of the process is reflection when we take a pause we realize perhaps we're not as attached to an idea as we thought we were Oftentimes, yes, or at least we, when we understand the framework of like how to think through the certain topics, really we start to recognize like what, what do I care really strongly about? And in a lot of moments, I talk about this concept of knowing who you're speaking with. You know, you go through life and you're, you know, you want to be interacting with people and having these micro conversations, which inspire a lot of hope in people, I think, but also can help you recognize that you're able to create connection with, with almost anyone in the world. But then there's the people who really matter most to you. And that's like your family and your loved ones, um, your spouse. And with those people, if you find yourself constantly in debates, constantly trying to be correct or trying to be right, that means that the other partner is usually, you know, coming out there feeling wrong and feeling like they are lesser in a conversation. And that's that's not what we want for, for, you know, those that we love and those in our lives. What we want is to be creating common ground with those people. And so that's the great focus, right, of reflection is when you start to think about what common ground could look like with someone that has an adversary opinion, uh, the conversation starts to completely change. But it all starts with, Milan, it all starts with, I believe, wanting peace and positivity and politeness in discourse. It does. It does. It starts there. Um, But yet we're surrounded by argumentativeness. And you say that in this world, even uh, ill intent and argumentativeness is encouraged. I mean, look at Reddit. Oh, my God. It frightens me. Um, how, How do you bring positive purpose to conversation? That's a great question. So I created the dough to help inspire a lot of this, right? That when we start to see diverse opinions in our lives and we see the value of them to be able to create more stronger solutions or be able to scale a lot of what we might be stagnant on at the political level, or uh, we start to find that we are angry all the time because we are constantly trying to be correct and our family members are less interested in spending time with us and talking with us. Most people, I think, upon reflection, are able to identify what the detractors are in their lives if they are these negative people who are um, not interested in common ground or positivity or trying to create a more unified society. And I talk about that in the book of myself being that person and and the realization and and kind of the moments throughout my life that kind of checked me and made me realize I don't want to be that person. And it's so important to have that moment. And a lot of people haven't had that yet, Mm -hmm. I think, right? And so when we see these these digital conversations happening online, whether it's Reddit or any other social media platform, that's devoid of nuance, devoid of body language, being able to sense someone's um, emotion, understanding of people, right? You're just kind of reacting to words that someone said that you might not even know very well. We're very 
reactive, and that's hurtful to the individual. So the point of this ramble, I guess, is that even when you are selfish, even when you think to yourself, like, I, you know, I don't care about other, if you think to yourself, I don't care about other people, and I'm just going about my life trying to survive, the choice to be positive, the choice to seek out common ground, I think is still a selfish one. I think it allows you to be optimistic in a way that makes your life better, and that's kind of what I want to be, you know, pushing people towards. I'd love to know more about this negative Milan who made mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, there's tons of stories in the book from, you know, my first entrepreneurial venture where I started raising turtles and selling turtles at age 13 years old and, you know, all of the conversations I had to have with adults pretending to be an adult over digital communication so I could conduct business to my parents' divorce and torturing my stepmother. There was so many moments where better communication could have made my life a whole lot less painful. And the truth is that we learn these lessons throughout life. For, for entrepreneurs, a lot of what, the type of person that we are is the type of person that wants to make tons and tons of mistakes uh, to learn because we don't take other people's learnings at face value mm-hmm. <laughs> quite often. I can relate to that very much. And also, too, it's part of becoming, mm-hmm. right? That first we do yeah. it wrong and first we do it selfishly and then we grow and then we learn and then hopefully our heart can handle the extra work it takes to have this positive discourse that you're talking about. So uh, you talk about the trifecta of tone, mood, and intention. Tell me about that. So for each of those, I I have a different example that I use. And the example I use for tone, I think, is really interesting, is Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was on television for so long. And how well he was able to adjust his tone to be able to speak to either young children on TV and communicate really difficult topics without them becoming either highly emotional or without them becoming uh, really controversial. And uh, and likewise, he was able to do that with adults quite well and inspire people to see how conversations and tone can really help create better conversations in our lives. Well, tone being one of the founding principles of civil discourse. And then, of course, there's maintaining focus, there's being attentive, there's active listening, which are three of the main skills that we focus on about when you're in practice. In practice. So basically, what you're preaching here, Milan, correct me if I'm wrong, is actually a way of operating in the world. That's correct. It's a, it's a guideline to understand how to respond when things either go wrong in conversation or they're unexpected, or um, it, it gives you a sense of confidence so that you can walk throughout your life starting conversations with people and knowing that you can handle almost anything, being able to identify bad faith actors, knowing when to walk away, knowing when you're, you should be trying to create common ground and, and how to do that, even when you know, you vehemently disagree with someone. Right. Because it's probably not wise to create common ground with everyone all the time. What I mean is there's probably some people in some situations where you should just walk away. Yes, there are some situations where you should just walk away. And it's intentionally pushing the other person to seek reflection and to see, you know, where did conversation go wrong? But of course, with yourself as well, to reflect and say, how would I come back to that differently if I, if I could? It feels to me like this is something that could be taught in schools, should be taught in schools, should be taught somewhere. This way of being in the world where we're aware of other people's feelings and encouraged encouraged to communicate well with them. Do you know, aside from the dough, uh, dot com, do you know, and your book, 
I'm just saying, do you know where else this takes place, this kind of education? I think that we get inspired through different figures throughout life. One of the other people I talk about in the book, beyond Mr. Rogers, was Oprah Winfrey, and how even in the 80s, as one of the first um, black television hosts, she was bringing on skinheads and, and members of the KKK onto her show to conduct civil discourse because she truly believed that by having these difficult conversations on live television, we would be able to inspire people to see how much growth is, is possible. And, you know, those members that she had on often came back, or in the specific example of the skinheads, they came back to her show, I think, several years later, um, I think 10 years later, actually, and, you know, talked about how they spent the rest of their lives devoted to helping bring members out of the skinheads in the KKK. And it's, it's really powerful when we give people a chance, the chance to just have conversation with them. I'm not saying we need to give a platform to everyone who is, who might be racist or who might be disagreeing from our opinions, but it is important to have these conversations in, in this country, especially because we need to have some sort of shared set of values. And that's, that's why people choose to usually be in a country together. There's like a set of shared values that allow us to move forward together stronger than we would as the individual. And that is what we do as a society and what makes humans so amazing. So I think that uh, to get back to your question of whether this is being taught in schools, I hope that stories like this or books like mine do get taught in school. I know that there's a lot of books like this in the self-help category for corporate America and for helping navigate how you communicate better with your co-workers and your boss, how to have better advocacy for yourself while understanding the workplace, especially in a growing digital world or a growing remote world and remote culture. I do think these skills are going to be more and more important and should be taught at, at probably the high school age. It's it's thrilling to me that you exist and that you are teaching this and preaching this. What is the message you most want to share with our listeners today? The most important message here, I believe, is that it is possible to create uh, civil conversations in the world. It is possible to create common ground with people that you disagree with, and it is possible um, to really live in a society where we have shared values, even when we disagree with people. And that ultimately, that is a much better world we want to live in, but it starts with the individual and how we show up to conversations and and really having faith in other people that they're going to meet us halfway when we show up um, better. You've got a lot of tools in your toolbox. I want you to share one of your personal tools when you get into conflict. That's like your number one go-to. The number one tool, I think, is active listening. Really intentionally recognizing yourself, getting heated, getting more defensive, or this one is the most important, is that you start to recognize yourself coming up with an answer while someone else is already is still talking. Pausing your, your thoughts and saying, no, I'm going to keep listening to this person because I want to understand them. And that curiosity, that intentional curiosity to try to understand people better will usually allow you to create more common ground because they will feel understood, they will feel heard, and whatever response you then come up with when you when you respond to them, it will actually be relevant. It won't be based on the first two sentences they said and, and you know, as that person kept speaking and they kind of got away from their point, you're not responding to something that was said four minutes ago. So it's about active listening. It's about active listening. Milan Cordestani of the Doe.com. His book is called, I'm Just Saying, A Guide to Maintaining Civil Discourse in an Increasingly Divided World. Milan is bringing polite back. So that is our quest for this week, to elevate the conversation, to elevate the understanding. 
to pause and not have that knee-jerk reaction to fully listen to someone. Isn't it a gift to be fully listened to? Don't you love that feeling? Those rare occasions when somebody just sort of puts their chin on their fist and their elbow on the table and they look at you like, go on, let's give that to somebody else this week. If politeness is in peril, we're grateful that Milan Cordestani is here fighting the good fight. Started his first business at 16 and now he's just 24, but he's got a lot to teach us. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. We're going to get together on Monday, the 15th of May. We're going to have our 6 o'clock Zoom, and we have a lot of special guests coming on the Zoom. A lot of different people are going to offer some tips and modalities for living well. We'll visualize a little, meditate a little, and it's all over in 45 minutes. It's our monthly get-together on Zoom. Get the link at caseysplace.com. We have 13 signed up so far for our July retreat. Our July retreat at Graymore in Garrison starts Friday the 21st of July and continues that weekend through the 23rd. And then in August, we're at Mariondale in Ossining, August 18th through the 20th. And I hope we can get together long before that. And I have found our thought for the day. It comes from a psychiatrist by the name of Carl A. Menninger, who said, Listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. The friends who listen to us are the ones we move toward. When we are listened to, it creates us, makes us unfold and expand. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show. With new episodes every week, it's your time to shine on.